Hey everyone and welcome to Developer Tea. My name is Jonathan Cottrell and today is the second part of my interview with Scott Gell. Uh, if you missed the first episode uh, with Scott, you may want to go back and listen to that first. We lay some of the groundwork for, uh, for the second part of the episode. Uh, we talk about tooling in this one. We talk a little bit about uh, static design files and what to do about that kind of problem. Just a lot of useful information coming from Scott. Um, and hey, while you're listening to this part of the interview, uh, take a minute and go into whatever app it is that you listen to podcasts in and click subscribe. That way you won't miss any future episodes uh, and it'll be easily delivered to you. If you don't listen to podcasts in an app, then you can easily subscribe to the RSS feed on developertea.com. Uh, once again, thanks so much to Scott and we'll go to the second part of the interview now. Very few clients, um, especially for most agencies, unless your client is is particularly forward thinking and understands the web, um, at which point they're hiring you because you are an absolute expert. Uh, a lot of clients don't understand why they, they, they don't understand this at all. They don't understand uh, a progressive enhancement until you describe it to them. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's a very hard thing to describe. Yeah, it can be. But I think. Um you know, there are a lot of uh, easily relatable um, parts to progressive enhancement that don't need to be so technical. You know, just the idea that um, uh, things don't need to look the same on any given browser or any two browsers. Sure. Uh, as long as, you know, your your service is being delivered to someone in a, in a really fast, uh, accessible manner, that's, you know, that's priority one. Um, and I think a lot of business owners, you know, would easily agree with that. So, um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then, you know, the technical how of that, uh, you know, follows. And I think, you know, it, it's our job to, to, you know, teach our clients sure mm-hmm. about this stuff, but it, it's also, you know, I think the, the why of it all is the most important part to, to teach. And then, you know, as much as you can get into uh, the technical layering, uh, you know, as much as they're they're interested, that's great too. Yeah, I mean, and ultimately, we're talking about uh, we're talking about making things that work for the most number of people in the best way possible. That, right. That's that's what this is about. And so, my my biggest takeaway from, uh, or I guess my biggest um, desire when I'm creating a project, when I'm thinking about progressive enhancement, there's kind of two, uh, categories that I'm thinking in one, can it be accessed by any device? Um, kind of through the filter of the most important devices, uh, but also, uh, can it be accessed by a very, um, I don't know, an old device or one that is less capable, uh, that for instance, a, a Kindle, like, how does it access my uh, my content on the web? Sure. And then the flip side of that is how fast is it, right? And that's the one that I think a lot of people are getting wrong right now. Um, and even if you go back to like the basics of of 
web development, if you're building with tables, you can make that relatively easily. You can make that viewable on uh, on most devices. But if you stick a if you stick a big picture in there and try to size it down, like that's going to cause some major problems. And and we aren't just talking about simple speed problems. We're also talking about the fact that you know there's people who are actually paying for their data, and you are costing them money. Like sure. there's, there's a lot of things to think about here. Um, so you mentioned the 14 K number, uh, and it's pro- a pretty common number. Can you explain a little bit about, uh, about critical CSS 14 K that first round trip, uh, and how you can get that perceived, uh, speed on that first load, especially on a homepage? Sure. Um, yeah, so I think um, in the last year or two, we've um, we've come to terms with some practices uh, in delivering uh, web pages as fast as possible. That, um, at least for me, sort of contradicted what I thought to be best practices for quite a while. Um, so, sure. mm-hmm. uh, you know, the the idea of even progressive enhancements original. Uh, definition was this idea of, you know, separating your, um, uh, your, your, your concerns. So you have your HTML, your CSS, your JavaScript, and these are all separate things that sort of unobtrusively uh, communicate with each other and layer in. And if one fails, that's fine. And you don't mix them. Right. (laughs) And um, exactly. And more recently we've been, uh, while that's still, you know, absolutely a, you know, a development practice, um, a usable idea. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's absolutely the way we, we still build websites, uh, from a delivery perspective, um, more and more we've been trying to optimize for, uh, the first round trip that we make across the, uh, across the web and back to, um, between the, the server and the browser. So when um, you say first round trip, <clears throat> let me interrupt you there and ask you, are you referring I'm, I'm assuming that you're referring to not just the page load, but the actual like packet round trip, right? Yeah. So we're talking about, you know, you're, you type a URL into your browser and it goes out to DNS and it resolves and gives you, uh, gives your browser an IP that it can go, go off and fetch the first, uh, whatever the index of that particular site happens to be, um, or whatever page you happen to be requesting. And then it goes out uh, and back, right? And and in that that first request and response, there's uh, uh, a limited amount of of code, of of data that can be transferred from the server back to your browser. Uh, And that tends to be 14 kilobytes, according to people who know a whole lot more about this than I do. (laughs) But... uh, (laughs) You know, knowing that and, and knowing that we we have a rough idea of uh, of how much how much data we're working with there, we can start to think about okay, well, what what's the most critical portion of our uh, of our page that we can mm-hmm. sort of cram into that that first round trip? Mm-hmm. Um, and if we think about it that way, as sort of okay, what what parts of this this web page, for example? Uh, are needed to start rendering the, the the top portion of the page, the most uh, the the first part that you see uh, as a user. Well, you need you know you need the markup, uh, the HTML for the 
however much content is going to cover the first screen full of or first scroll full of content, which you know varies across devices, but you can kind of uh, aim aim a little high uh, mm-hmm. on the viewport mm-hmm. size. Uh, you'll need some CSS for styling the layout for that that portion of the of the content. And you might need a little JavaScript as well, depending on how you're using JavaScript to qualify the enhanced layout of your uh, of your initial page view. Sure. So, so thinking about okay, well, you know, in an HTML document, and that's that's all that's coming back in that first round trip, because anything else, like an external style sheet uh, that you would reference from that that HTML, anything like that is is going to require another request once the once the HTML reaches the browser, right? And it begins to parse it and says, oh, there's a reference to a style sheet. Let me go get that. Uh, and by then, you're already making a new round trip. So we're, we're trying to think about, okay, could we fit some CSS in line? Could we fit some, uh, some very, very critical JavaScript in line along with that, that first delivery of markup and sort of optimize for that first round trip? Uh, and it turns out it's really, really, really powerful. It kind of blew me away uh, mm-hmm. when I first saw this in action um, because it, it it sort of guarantees that uh, you can deliver a page in under a second, which wow. you know, is um, at least on a reasonable connection speed. And, you know, that's... That's great, right? I mean, <laughs> we're, yeah, we're, no we're used to much, uh, much slower page loading times than sure. that, so especially on mobile devices. Um, and you know that that time varies. Like if you're on three G, then typically a, a really fast site would maybe take two seconds, mm-hmm. uh, which is mm-hmm. down from whatever the the eight to ten. That's kind of the average that you'd see on on three G these days. Um, yeah, so. So yeah, um, you know, it, it sounds sort of simple in concept, but but when you have a, a live code base uh, and you're starting to think about, well, okay, I can see what portions of the content comprise the, the top portion of this page. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do I, you know, isolate that code? Uh, right. That's that's a much harder problem, and thankfully we we're getting better tools now that sort of do that for us so we don't have to you know write our style sheets uh, in ways that we have like a you know inlined group of css files and then a separate group and have to manage that all on our own uh, right and yeah it's what is the uh, filament groups uh critical css right yeah i mean that's that's one of several that are um several tools that are out there mm-hmm. um money and, and the rest of the um uh, Google Chrome DevRel folks, uh, kind of, at least for me, they were the first people that I started hearing uh, talk about this stuff, and and they started building bookmarklets and, and grunt yeah. tasks and things like that, and um, and we started experimenting with those, and we we're like, well, this 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 idea is really great. We need it to do a couple other things uh, to work with some of the, the code bases that we typically have um, for clients, which are tend to be live generated on the server kind of um, uh, code bases. So yep. yeah, so we built our own tool as well. Um, the one you mentioned, Grunt Critical CSS. Um, and it's a Node.js task as well, Critical CSS. But what it does is uh, 
you set up a configuration file uh, that lists out all of the unique templates in your code base. So you might have your, your home page and your about template and your blog template, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, unique page templates, not necessarily unique URLs that use those templates, but you know, generally you'll have, I don't know, less than 10 on an average site, uh, sure. unique templates. And then uh, you pass those to this tool and it actually uh, opens a, an example page of each template in uh, Phantom, which is this WebKit yeah, headless browser, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so this is running on the command line. You don't actually see, you know, if you're looking at your computer screen, you wouldn't see uh, the pages open in, in a browser, but they're opening and uh, it resizes to a particular viewport that you specify, 1200 mm -hmm. by 900, say. And it starts to analyze uh, which portions of the CSS are necessary to render uh, the layout in just that region of the page. Wow. Um, and it isolates those styles and writes them to a file. And so you, you end up with a subset of your overall style sheet that's uh, critical, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And that can become the thing that you inline in the, in the top of, uh, of each unique template. Sure. Yeah. And then you just sort of load the, there's a, a, a style sheet loader, um, workflow that, that we have that you can load the full CSS uh, in a way that doesn't block rendering. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Two questions. Yeah. Uh, one, are you then kind of repeating the styles in, in the secondary load? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Okay. It's, it's uh, the negligible basically, right? Well, yeah, it's also loaded in a way that uh, it it's not blocking rendering. It's just sort of coming at and coming in uh, at its own convenience, right? So, okay. um, mm. yes, there's overlap between the two, but it's actually intentional because uh, you can configure your site to uh, only use this inlining workflow on the first page visit, and then after mm -hmm. that, you've got the full style sheet and it's cached in browser cache. Yeah, so you can yeah. just reference it normally from. Uh, from the head of the page and not have to deal with that whole inlining workflow anymore. So in the end, uh, you know, it it spins up the initial view very quickly mm -hmm. and then uh, behind the scenes loads the CSS that will be needed to render the rest of the page that's below the viewport size uh, when you first open it, but also to render the rest of the site or at least, you know, the a section of the site that you happen to consider uh, unique enough to make a style sheet for. Um, sometimes we'll have a client that, uh, you know, if it's e-commerce, maybe there's um, buyer side templates and mm -hmm. uh, seller side templates or, you know, different audiences using this code base. And those those are situations where you might break out your, your full style sheets into separate. Right. Yeah. But yeah. for the most part, uh, you know, sites like, um, like we worked on the, the Lego store, uh, mm -hmm. last year it's kind of an ongoing project and sure that was uh, fun oh man dream client <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's just it's a really fun site they've yeah. the talent there is amazing um but uh even something like that you know in, in e-commerce you most of the site runs off one style sheet and then yeah uh, yeah so i think it's doable uh especially with you know smart use of uh uh you know, the cascade and trying to minimize how much CSS you're writing and, and gzip, of course, transform, transferring all your files with good compression. 
So, uh, and would you put uh, the actual just references to the style sheets inside of like a no script tag then? Yeah, I mean, we definitely do that for the uh, for the the use case for the user that wouldn't have JavaScript enabled or available to the browser. Sure. Uh, and then for anyone else, we're we're using a a utility that I wrote called Load CSS, uh, which right. basically just you know, injects a, a link element into the page mm. referencing whatever style sheet you need. And it does it in a way that ensures that it's not going to block rendering because by default, any reference to like, if you have a link element in your, in the head of your page that you deliver to the browser and it references a external style sheet, the browser will actually just Stop. stop in its tracks, <laughs> yeah. go out and request that thing, parse right. it, and then begin rendering again. And, you know, that's a potential single point of failure mm-hmm. um, at at best. And at worst, you know, or, or the average use case is it's just slowing down Slow. that initial render every time. So, yeah, um, yeah so trying to avoid that um, as we can, it's sort of like this inline the critical stuff and then uh, load the rest at a, a leisurely Mm-hmm. pace <laughs> yeah yeah because uh, most most devices now can cache pretty pretty heavily and pretty quickly and and then accessing things is just stupid fast so you, once it's cached there's no there's not a worry so much about it so if you can get the that initial load uh, i'm talking to the listeners at this point it, try to get the initial load of your site under a second it's it's i mean it's on a regular connection right so like a five megabits per second yep. connection or on like a lte connection or whatever you would consider regular i know down in florida you said on uh on web ahead that you have a uh edge sometimes down there <laughs> yeah thankfully it's uh the t-mobile kept promising me that they were going to upgrade the towers around here and they finally did awesome um, but uh, you know it's <laughs> welcome not, to the world yeah <laughs> I, so to speak it, it's you know the tower is no closer to my house so <laughs> uh than it than it was before so it's uh lte capable but i'm still getting a really you know poor connection speed <laughs> so yeah. yeah i mean it I'm, it teaches me to be honest i think <laughs> <laughs> i've mentioned on the show before i'm i'm up in chattanooga and we have the gig nice. here and uh the i say the gig like everybody knows what it is yeah. it's a gigabit internet connection and it's amazing. it is incredible and it's not through google it's actually through a company here called epb and they are like government sanctioned and and it's just fantastic service and it's like the dreamland for uh, for development so there's my like little pitch for any any developers looking to move to chattanooga the internet here is awesome you have a desk in your garage (laughs) (laughs) Uh, you're welcome to come work uh anytime you want to at the whiteboard office appreciate that Anyhow, awesome. Well, Scott, you, you've got a couple of, uh, speaking of traveling, you've got a couple of conferences coming up and they are anywhere near Chattanooga. Uh, two of them are in Australia. Yeah. Correct? Yeah. Next month I'll be in Sydney for web directions, uh, respond conference. It's called, I'm Very really cool. excited about that. And then, uh, uh, a week or so later I'll be in Melbourne for, um, CSS conf. Australia. So nice. Yeah. Very so cool. And, and exciting. how can people find out more? I guess they can Google it or what, what's a good link for them to go and find out about those? 
for the conferences themselves. Uh, yeah. yeah. Hmm. I would I would Google Web Directions Respond. I'll throw it in the one. show notes. How about that? Yeah, cool. And CSS yeah. Conf. Is, and then you've uh, got one in Germany as well. In May. Yeah, Beyond Tellerand. Uh, that's in May, and uh, in in Dusseldorf. So, right. yeah, exciting. Talking about uh, spring coming up. Talking about responsible, responsive. Yeah, yeah. I think um, a lot of the things that uh, that we sort of talked about on the call on on this interview today. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Perfect. Well, <clears throat> if you guys want to hear, if you want to hear more from Scott, uh, obviously those are uh, great opportunities for you to check out. Uh, but also scottjail.com um, and and uh, of course Filament Group is always posting wonderful things on their site. Um, so so there's just a lot of content out there, and I mean just Google Scott Jell. He's all over the place. So. <laughs> Thank you, Scott, so much for joining me. I appreciate the time. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jonathan. We'll talk soon. All right. Thank you. Thanks to Scott once again for being on the show. Uh, I know that I gained a lot of valuable insight from Scott, and I will continue to do so uh, over the years in the past as well as in this interview. So uh, make sure you follow Scott online on on the various places that he is tweeting and posting, etc. Uh, I will post those links in the show notes for you, which you can always find at developertea.com. Um, also make sure you leave a comment, uh, if you have some thoughts on this show, you can always reach me at, at developer T on Twitter. Uh, but you can also reach me in the comments thread on developer You can email me at developer at gmail.com. And if you're enjoying this show, please consider supporting the show by going to developer front slash donate. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, enjoy your tea.